Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with disaster modeler, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who's committed to building resilience in the communities they serve. We also thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now, let's get to it. In our last episode, part two of our four-part series on California's other big one, we gave you a staggering picture of the big storm and flood of 1861-62 and what it did to California, how it fundamentally changed society and the course of history for the Golden State. Today, in part three, we want to talk about what a repeat of a storm like that could be like. In part one, we talked about how it was possible. So let's look at what happens through this synthetic storm called Arc Storm. And as a refresher, Lucy set the scene for the scenario so the listeners can come back up to speed. Just like we had with the earthquake, where we said, let's imagine what the big earthquake is, define it geologically, what are the consequences? We wanted to do the same thing for the flood. But we discovered where seismologists regularly create synthetic earthquakes, that wasn't something that happens usually within the meteorologic community. And part of it is because to really look at a storm like this, you need to have a lot of data. And we record those for past earthquakes where we have essentially a big grid across the state. And at each point we say, what was the temperature? What's the air pressure? What's the amount of moisture? What's the amount of rain that's gonna come? We have those for the more recent storms, but like 1862, of course, we don't have that sort of data. What we thought we would do is look through our existing sets of data and try to figure how we could put something together that would approach the level of 1862. And what the meteorologists found was that in 1969, we had a a really big storm that did a lot of damage in Southern California. Some of the older people can remember Lincoln Boulevard shut down, et cetera. And then in 1986, there was a really big storm. Both of these are across the state, but the primary damage in 86 was Northern California. And the meteorologists looked at them and realized that the end of 1969 looked a lot like the beginning of 1986, and they could stitch them together. And so the storm that we modeled is two existing storms, storms that have already happened, and just saying they happened in the same year. Because of course, when one big storm is immediately after another, now the ground's saturated and no place to go. So now you have this synthetic storm with actual data showing you rainfall across the state for 26 days. What came next? We know where the water came down. We need to know where it goes. And FEMA has maps for the whole country that map out the 100-year and 500-year floods for every drainage. And that's what we used. And a drainage, this is not just a drain. A drainage is a very specific term. Can you explain that? Right. To hydrologists, a drainage is everything that feeds into some particular waterway. So every river, every creek has a drainage. And what we did is we looked at the amount of water that went into each drainage, compared that to the historic record for that drainage. Because when you talk about a 100-year flood, it's done by drainage. So for all of California, we said this amount of rain from this synthetic storm, it's the 50-year flood or the 100-year flood or the 500-year flood. In a couple of places, it was the 1,000-year flood. 
when we talk about the X year flood, hundred year flood, thousand year flood, it doesn't mean that it happens every hundred years. It actually means that likelihood is once every hundred years, but you could have it two years in a row. Right. And of course, as we'll talk a bit more next time, as climate change changes our patterns, 100-year floods are becoming more like 10 or 20-year floods. But we're using the historic record in this case. And then the water comes down and it hits our flood control. All of our flood control systems have been certified by FEMA, same process as making the maps, as to how much they can hold. Certified to survive the 100-year flood, rarely does it ever get to the 200-year flood and essentially never with the 500-year flood. So we know that some of our dams and levees are gonna break. And that's the part that it's very difficult to predict what. So what we did was we said, if we exceeded certification, and let's say we have 100 levees that have exceeded the certification, we're gonna model that 10% of them or 20% of them break and essentially somewhat randomly assign them around the region. The reality is that when a flood really does happen, we aren't sure which levees are gonna break, the dams have dam operators that sometimes choose when and where to let the water out to minimize the chance that the dam itself will completely fail. So there's a certain amount of choice that goes into saying where it's going to flood that we didn't try to get into in this storm. So we looked at these drainages and you looked at the dams and the levees and their certification and whether they'd fail or not. So we know where the water goes, but actually, where does the water go? What does it do to all of us that all those systems are there to protect? Look at California. We have the flats and we have the mountains. And the rain falls everywhere, more in the mountains, comes down into the flats, and it's the flats that get flooded. Unfortunately, the flats is also where most of us live. So much of the Central Valley, actually much of the flat-lying areas of Los Angeles and Orange County, quite a bit of the area around San Francisco Bay, all of these get flooded. So most of Sacramento is going to be gone. And if that's where the water goes, what does it do to us as the people? Well, okay, we did not try to model deaths because if we handle those evacuations perfectly, we don't have deaths, except maybe people dying in the traffic jams as they're trying to get out. We did model that very large numbers of people, millions of people in Northern California end up needing to get evacuated. Just in the long run, we do know, look over our history, Floods and landslides have killed more people in Southern California than our earthquakes have. So there will be deaths. We just didn't directly estimate them. And what about the other impacts? That's always the place that starts to really give sobering figures when we look at these models. What happens to sort of the world that we live in today when you have 26 days of rain straight? The most shocking number that came out of Arc Storm was that 24% of properties would have at least some flood damage. And that seemed shocking to me, but when you sit back and look at it, most of the people are in the flats and that's where the water comes. We also have a lot of transportation disruption. We tried to estimate how many landslides there would be, and we were looking at 10 to $100 billion in road damage from landslides. Transportation disruption in a lot of locations. We expect that Los Angeles and Orange counties will actually be cut off from Northern California for a week or two. We might have real trouble getting in from the east across the Sierras. So we're gonna have a lot of transportation isolation. That might not matter much to you, but think about our supply chain. One of the things that is likely to be a problem here is getting food into the area. The other big issue is what gets into that water that is now coming into all our houses. 
The federal government has the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, and it keeps a registry of all facilities that have the potential for causing a toxic waste event of some sort. They monitor 115,000 sites in the state of California, and 7,800 of them are in the 100-year floodplain. So we're going to be having potentially 7,800 locations releasing materials we really don't want in our house into the floodwaters to be carried to us. And so what would these include? One really obvious one is oil refineries. There's 70 oil refineries in California, and a quarter of them are in the 100-year floodplain. Hurricane Katrina, we saw what happens when they get flooded and petroleum then gets carried into the floodwaters. There are also sewage treatment plants. If you want to start thinking about this, a flooded sewage treatment plant means sewage in the floodwaters now being carried into your house. And here in California, remember, we're a really major agricultural center. We have feedlots where thousands, tens of thousands of animals are kept in tight quarters. 9% of our feedlots are in the floodplain. In Hurricane Floyd, we saw a huge public health issue when feedlots were flooded and carcasses got carried out. So all these dead pigs floating around in the floodwaters. There's also the drugs that are stored in feedlots. You know, we feed antibiotics to these animals to keep them from getting sick in those tight quarters. And those drugs are stored there too, which could potentially be washed into the water. So all in all, you get a situation where it's not just the river came into your house. It's the river and all of the waste produced by modern society getting carried into your house. And with the impacts to transportation, you're not leaving the area if you didn't get out in time when you were told. If you think about all this, what does it mean in dollars and cents? Well, the scary part about Arkstorm is when we added it all up, we ended up approximately $400 billion in losses. That's a billion uh, with a B. With a B, 200 billion that's just repairing buildings that have been damaged from floods, but then all those transportation, all those roads, all of the other types of disruptions happening. And then just like in ShakeOut, when we modeled business disruption, we found that the business disruption costs were approximately the same as the direct losses. So we got up to $800 billion in losses from the storm four times what we saw from the big earthquake, and yet it has about the same chance of happening. Wow. If you sit and think about that for a minute, you realize that it is California's other big one. And just like we look at other big disasters, the impacts can seem overwhelming and somewhat unbelievable. Can that really happen here in modern society in California? And like you always say, Lucy, like who's afraid of the rain? We have a hard time being afraid of it, and there's a lot of psychological reasons why. So in our last part of this series, we're going to look at just that, how we as humans manage or don't manage our flood risk, and what has changed both for the better and for the worse in the decades since we released the ArcStorm report. Well, let's take that up next time. And until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. 